ESPNFC Daily, K-Marie and LME here. Group H for how do you like them apples? Ghana and Uruguay essentially knocking each other out of the World Cup. Uruguay beating Ghana. Ghana preventing Uruguay getting a very important third goal because in the other game, South Korea beat Portugal 2-1, meaning that on goal difference, they were ahead of Uruguay. Uruguay could not do it. It is another day of drama in fact, LME, one of our guys at ESPN over in the UK says, can we just have a normal day, please? James Tyler needs a break. These group stage final games have been brilliant. There we go. Can we have one normal day? Do you echo that sentiment, LME? No, if we're going to be crazy, let's continue being crazy. If I'm not going to get a day off, let's just go all in. <laughs> Both feet in the lake of chaos. Absolute insanity, K. Murray. Ridiculous stuff. Congratulations to South Korea. Uh, just unbelievable scenes. And Uruguay, honestly, one of the biggest disappointments, the biggest disappointment to me at this World Cup. Chaos continues, K. Craziness. Crazy, 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 because this already had the huge storyline behind it. As soon as we saw that the two had been drawn in the group together, we all thought straight away of what happened in that game in 2010. The Luis Suarez handball, the penalty, him being sent off, the penalty being missed by Jean. And then it obviously it going to penalties in Uruguay winning. And on that day... Luis Suarez was the man celebrating in the tunnel. So many understood why he did what he did for his nation. But then the fact that he was celebrating his side winning as he was, as emphatically as he was, was an even more bitter pill to swallow for the Ghanaians. And so maybe, maybe this is sweet revenge for them that, okay, we're going down, but you are coming with us. We are not going to let you get that third goal. No siree. You are not going through. Is this revenge enough? Let's bring in Nadem and Jules to talk more about this and see what their thoughts are on it. The game as well. Uh, here they are, the roommates, Nadem and Jules. <laughs> 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 All right, so I'll start with you, Nadem. What, what are your initial thoughts after this game? Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. You know, we were watching the vast majority of the games and it's just... You know, it was going the way you sort of expected to, not really that much action. But then everything changed as soon as that second South Korea goal went in. And all of a sudden, all eyes go to the Uruguay game. Did the Uruguayans know that they now need to score another goal? And you could see there's such a great picture of Suarez pointing up at the scoreboard because they showed the group, which I don't, I don't know if that's normal, but in showing the group, all of a sudden, the panic set in, the fear. And then the game completely turned on its head. And it was, it was incredible to watch because... Firstly, that Uruguay game was going to be seven, eight minutes, finishing seven, eight minutes later than the South Korea one. So there's going to be a lot of time waiting around. But for them, you've seen both teams going at it, basically gave up on defending overall throughout their teams. And best of all, it wasn't the fact that, you know, the teams weren't going all out to try and get a win. It was for their own separate sort of motivations. You've seen Uruguay throwing people forward. Like, they're already winning 2-0. So the three points is in the bag, but now they need to find an extra one to adjust their position within this and continue in the competition. It was absolutely amazing. That's probably the best 10, 15 minutes, I'd say, of the whole tournament. But then I, I, it's recency biased because yesterday was pretty good. And so was the day before. So, yeah, I want lots more of this going forward, please. Yeah, absolutely. Nadem just keeps, every time he's on the show, he says the same thing. And, and rightly so, because it's madness every single day. I think, listen, I think there were two narratives today. One of them was Uruguay finally actually in this game. If we just talk about this match alone. Finally, I saw some Garra Charrua. Finally, I saw some Uruguayan grit. 
Finally, I saw some goals because before this game, they hadn't scored a single goal in the World Cup. You know, finally, I saw some dynam uh, dynamism from Diego Alonso and putting everything in the midfield because we need to remember that Diego Alonso took over this Uruguayan side uh, when Uruguay was seventh in World Cup qualifiers, four matches to go. They won those four matches. Here they are. But I hadn't seen anything in this World Cup until today. So that's one story. The second story is what Naden was talking about, which is absolute madness, trying to go for that third goal after realizing what South Korea were doing. And honestly, Jules said it about Mexico, I believe, in a previous episode. I repeat this for Uruguay. The loss was done ultimately way before this. They hadn't shown me anything up to today. And they deserve to not qualify. And I'm sorry for Luis Suarez. Obviously, he's very emotional. And to your point, Kay, about the emotional history of what's happened before this game with Ghana. And I'm sorry about players like Darwin Nunez and uh, Pajarito uh, Valverde and all these people. But, like, you don't deserve to go through. You were just not good enough. South Korea, at least you gave me something in every single game. So, well done to them. Unbelievable stuff. Is this revenge enough, Jules, then, for Ghana, do you think? We're going down, <laughs> but you're coming with us. We were saying with Nathan watching, he said, oh, karma, you know, that's karma as his best, that's revenge. Yesterday, we disagree on the FC show. I thought revenge was a bit strong talking about this game today because it was a long time ago and the players have changed and, and, and still Asamoah Jan could have scored and, and, and Ghana, Ghana would have gone through. But, but it felt today, like at the end, when they were wasting time just to deny Uruguay the opportunity to score a third goal that would send them through. It was, it was the way from this Ghana, Ghana generation to basically, you know, have one back on Uruguay and, 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 and probably say, remember what happened 12 years ago? Remember 2010? Well, this is our 2010 to us. This is how we deny you from progressing into this competition by wasting time when we are losing 2-0. You know, usually you waste time when you're winning, not when you're losing. But, but today I thought, yeah, they, that, that was their way of showing that, you know, karma and revenge are its best, really. I suppose as well, Nathan, when you look at it, what's really interesting is the fact that Uruguay had this start. They got the goals from De, Ascare, uh, De, De Arascaeta. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Anyway, I called him De Aras goal getter because he was showing great signs for his team. It seemed as though everything was going their way. There was absolutely no way they thought that South Korea were going to beat Portugal. It seems that way. And so I think that's probably why it's been even tougher for them come the final result, what it's meant for them. Yeah, I would um, I would agree with that. But as Elamie has said, you know, this and as Jules has said in previous in uh, previous games, you know, this was lost before this moment today. You know, that, that last 10 minutes and the desire they showed over, overall in the 90, it's great doing it now. But maybe if you had a bit more of that, it would have set them up to be in a better position heading into that final game. I think to be relying upon another result going your way, it's not a great position to be in if you could have, say, maybe tweaked your approach before it. Because I was looking at going to go and watch, you know, Portugal versus Uruguay. And in that first half, I was astonished by Uruguay. It's like they almost didn't want to attack, apart from Bentancourt. There was literally nothing else going on. But then you saw them today go up against the Ghana side who we felt maybe were coming back for revenge and such. And they, quite, they made Ghana look quite poor overall, I thought. I was expecting a bigger performance from them. But then lo and behold, at the end, when they then throw everything forward, they look exciting again. But, you know, the, the die had already been cast. This is the position they were in. And then this is what happens. Jules was making a very good point when, when I was with him in the, um, in the room we were watching the game in. You're always going to run the risk. If one goal somewhere else can greatly affect your situation, then maybe you should have been going for it more before that point. And ultimately, they didn't do that. And as a consequence, they were punished. And all the heartbreak, 
you know, it's, you didn't go out just because of the last 10 minutes of the tournament for you. It was the previous 90, the 180 before that. So it's no, it's a shame that this is what's happened to them and you've seen pain on the sidelines, but this is it. And I'm sure the Ghanaians will be doing a little celebration because they didn't get what they want, but they kind of got what they wanted. Yeah, I wonder, you know, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I'll start with you, Jules. Who's the bigger disappointment in the group stage, given the players that they have in their ranks, Uruguay or Belgium? Oh, that's a good question. I think it's, it's quite similar, to be fair. Uh, the disappointment, you could maybe argue that the Belgium group was maybe a little bit easier. I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure if, if, if that's true, but maybe slightly easier than the Uruguay one with Portugal and South Korea and, and Ghana. Be simply, I guess, maybe because of Canada in the Belgium group, who were like obviously for this for these generation newcomers and didn't really know the experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Maybe just that. I'm not even sure. So I think it's it's as bad. Uh, I agree with the boys in, in what Uruguay have shown. And we said with Nathan today, I'm sorry, but you stopped attacking at halftime when you were 2 0 up. Because you thought if we if we keep that win, there's no there's no way that South Korea will do the job on their side. And then and that's that's how that's how you got done. It's really how you got done because you were much better than Ghana. Even if Ghana missed a penalty, don't forget, nil-nil. But you were better. You scored those two goals. The first one is a terrible defending, but okay, you still managed to score that. The second goal is a really lovely goal, like a really nice team goal. But after that, keep attacking. Go and go for it. Go for that third goal. Maybe go for the fourth goal. And then, and then you're safe. Then nothing can happen because there's no way that South Korea can win, but then score three and four against Portugal. But yeah, you didn't do that. And again, they went so negative. And for me, you, you only, you reap what you sow. Is that you say in English? You mm -hmm. reap what you sow. Yeah. And they, what they sue or whatever the word is through this tournament, but they ripped it today. And especially in this game when they stopped playing after 45 or 60 minutes. Yeah, from a performance perspective, from a performance perspective and what I've seen in the tournament, Uruguay to me are the bigger disappointment because they showed me nothing until today. Like nothing. Like zero goals. Like Qatar scored more goals than you, right? The fact that you still have this talent, okay, fair enough, it's transitional. Fair enough, Luis Suarez is getting older. Fair enough, Edison Cavani is not what he was five years ago. That doesn't matter. All the power goes to the midfield of Uruguay, right? And you have that in Fede Valverde, in Bentancur, Vecino. And so to me, from a performance perspective, it's Uruguay. But Jules is right. It's pretty similar with the Belgian side because from a Belgian perspective, it's a project thing. I mean, it's not like Roberto Martinez just arrived. This has been a project and a consensus for a while. And they do have the talent. And also, like Jules said, it's a, it was a much more doable group for Belgium. So it's pretty similar. Just personally, as a South American, as a better person that just wants to see that garra charrua, that anger, that energy, that power, that grit, I'm so disappointed in Uruguay, regardless of what happens today. Do you have any thoughts on it, Nadem? Um, I, I agree with, uh, with what the guys are saying. I do believe in that. But I think the nuance to me in terms of what Belgium did in this tournament is obviously their generation and so on. But they were ranked second in the FIFA rankings. And whether we believe that they are the second best team or not, that is where they are in approaching this tournament. So I think for them to underperform the way that they did, I think that's very, very significant. And it feels like even though um, for Uruguay, there will be some level of transition because of some of the age of some of the players within the squad. I think for Belgium, we might see a completely different Belgium side come this summer, come this next summer, come a year's come a year's time. Because, as I say, something is definitely broken. They've lost their manager. They're probably going to be losing some key players, and it seems like they need to build again. So I think for me, they've probably been the biggest disappointment.
Kay Murray, is this the end of Lucho Suarez, do you think? Uh, you know, uh, he was crying, emotional, obviously, naturally. Um, obviously, he, he achieved what he wanted to do uh, with Nacional back in his home country. Is this it? Is this it for him from an international perspective? I think so. It has to be, doesn't it? I think it, I think he probably was anyway beforehand, even whatever happened and however far they were going. It has to be, doesn't it, for Luis Suarez, guys? What about you, Jules? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it doesn't look fit anyway. To me, he played an hour. I don't think he can play barely more than 45 minutes. There's still the moment of genius, like on the second goal, because his flick is wonderful and the weight on it and the vision before. And great. The first goal, a fit Luis Suarez would have scored it. And he's lucky that the rebound is favorable and they still score from it. But, but, but he can't play at that level anymore anyway, full stop. He can't go through another round of qualifiers and play against Argentina and Brazil and Colombia and all the tough South American teams again. It's, there's no way. There's no way. Nadem? Yeah, I would have to say, if his, if his impact is diminished in the way that we've probably seen through this tournament, then for me, he probably shouldn't continue. But within himself, he'll know whether he's a, he's a vice of a nation or not. But I think in seeing the tears that he had in his eyes, you know, he's somebody who takes real pride in playing for his national side and feels the disappointment the same way the natives of the country do as well. So I don't think he would stay out there for any longer than, say, he's, a, he's like going to be effective for them. And it's a shame because we were saying again when we're watching the game, if Suarez has to come off at 60 minutes every single time he plays for the national side, then is 90 minutes really beyond him? Because if it is, then surely he shouldn't necessarily be in that mix. So I'm sure he's going to spend some time being upset. But I think in the end, he'll make the right decision. And for some, I imagine that would be him walking away. I'll tell you who are not upset right now. The South Koreans. 2.19am in the morning in South Korea. And Luis, you just shared the celebrations after they've qualified now for the group stage. It's just great to see as well. Amazing. It's so annoying. I was just saying before we started taping and the boys joined us, Kay, that, uh, you know, we can't do some video here because I was just listening to the Korean commentators on the second goal after Sonny's beautiful through ball. And it was nuts. And I loved every single minute. Didn't understand a single word of it. I mean, I had a very close Kore South Korean friend in school, but, you know, he didn't teach me anything. But you could just feel the emotion. And Koreans just so happy and crying. It's What is it, 2.20 a.m. in South Korea right now in Seoul? They're probably going absolutely insane. I mean, listen, like, I've been a very big fan of this team. And this game in particular, when you look at the statistics against, okay, fair enough, a rotated Portuguese side. But, you know, they're, they're a solid, obviously, uh, contender Portugal under Fernando Santos, speci specifically this diversified Fernando Santos. And South Korea gave them punch for punch. I mean, statistically speaking, they were right, right up there every single time. And obviously, the ultimate score resulted in, in, in such... And I think it speaks for a lot of what's been going on in the last year, year and a half with South Korean players playing in bigger clubs in Europe. I think that there's more of an understanding of who they are. It's not just about Hyun Min Son. And that's what makes this team so special. So very happy for them. Well, it's interesting you say that because the first goal scorer, Kim Young Gwan, was actually one of the goal scorers knocking Germany out back in 2018. And even those players who may not be playing in Europe, he's playing at Usan Hyundai, They've been playing under coaches like Fabio Cannavaro, Marcello mm. Lippi, uh, Luis Felipe Scolari. So they're learning from their coaches as well, maybe things that we wouldn't have seen players who are not coming to Europe learning because they're getting the experience of these World Cup winning coaches or players that are coaching them. So do you think South Korea are under underestimated in any way, Jules? Yeah, I think so. And Japan, to be fair, very similar. And, and it's not a surprise maybe that we see them too 
progressing that we see two African teams. There would have almost be three with Ghana, but but two already in Senegal and, and Morocco before before today's games going through as well. Uh, and on the other hand, some of the big European side or the, the ones that you would expect to to be there, like obviously Germany and Belgium and one of Switzerland and 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 Serbia uh, as well that that would not be there. So this is great. It's great for the game. It's great for South Korean football. Uh, 2018 was a, was a great moment, but it was achieved in a very different way, if you remember, because I thought in this tournament, they've played really nice football. For me, some of the nicest football we've seen, yeah. not always rewarded in the way they should have been. I mean, it's not, not, not that they should have been, but not rewarded in the sense with goals and, and wins, etc., etc. But but there was always some good moments in games, even the first nil-nil draw that they played. There was some really good stuff in there against against Uruguay. But after that, they lost to Ghana after playing really well, coming back from two goals down. And again today, they were one nil down against a B Portugal team. But it doesn't matter. But they kept playing. They've got clear clear patterns of play. They've got some really good individual players. But collectively, they're strong. And I think every time we've watched them with Nathan, we've really enjoyed it. And, and I would have been gutted that they've gone out. But to qualify like that, and it's going to give them so much, I mean, so much belief and momentum. Yeah, okay, they probably will face Brazil now in the last 16, which is going to be crazy. But but still, imagine how much how they must feel in that dressing room on the bus going back to their hotel now tonight, at the hotel tonight, tomorrow morning when they wake up and they go to breakfast. It's crazy. But Jules just made a very good point. He's making a few a lot of good points today. He's really everybody. I, I'm very happy about that. Listen, he just made a, a good point about Japan. Uh, Nate, and I'm throwing it to you because I, before taping, I started talking about, you know, we have to start paying attention now to these Asian nations because Japan, to top their group, they didn't just go through. They beat Spain. I don't care that they rotated. They beat Spain and they've been delivering. And also, you have seen shades of it in the last few years. But there's, there's a bit of a force here, Nate, on, on these Asian teams and how well they are doing and how much more respect we need to give them, I guess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, that's for sure. And you also forget they beat Germany. You know, we shouldn't forget that. But the yes. crazy thing is they lost to Costa Rica. So, you know, try and balance that out in your mind. But this is ultimately what football is. And I think it's very easy for people to sort of underestimate what they don't know because they're not tracking those players or tracking that league or tracking their development. They just assume that it's going to be the same forces that will always be at the top in these competitions. But it's not always the case. I think when we get down to the semi-final and the final, maybe we'll see more familiar faces within it. But ultimately, these sides are good. They've got good players in, and their games are developing individually and collectively. And they're more and more competitive with every tournament that goes by. And I think if you believe that it's not the case, then ultimately you're missing the point. And even greater still, to look at that, say, um, Japan game yesterday. You know, they didn't have a ton of possession, but they created the chances, they scored some goals, they won the game. Maybe in a series of 10 games, you know, Spain might win seven of them, eight of them, whatever. But they're good enough to be able to get a win against whoever they're playing against on planet Earth in any particular moment. So you have to be very, very wary. These are good players. They're committed to playing for the national side. And although they may not have the talent of some teams that we do know, the fact is they have enough talent to win a game. And we keep seeing that over and over and over again. And now the big question is, can any of these pull off a shock in the round of 16? 
And for me, I wouldn't be surprised if it were one or two. Yeah, in in this game, maybe it was a bit of a win-win for Portugal, given that it's Paulo Bento managing the South Korea side as well. Uh, I wonder if he had any little inside info as well, and that helped them out getting the win. It wasn't a win for Rafael Leao, though. Portugal rotated, still no starting spot for him. Not a good sign, really, Jules. No, and one that I struggle to understand, I have to be honest here. As you know, I'm not a big fan of Fernando Santos at all. I've never been and will never be. Yeah. Uh, At least you say his name. Join the party. Yeah. Like, Gav, soon, you, me. <laughs> but you know soon he's going to be the Portuguese guy. He's going to very much be the Portuguese guy because he starts to really annoy me now. I just don't get it. But, but again, I mean, there's context to it. Maybe there's things, that, there are things that we don't know maybe from training, from, from how Rafael Leao feels himself. I, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just... If he's fully fit and 100% and ready to go, I'm, I just don't understand the underuse of him, why they just don't use him more. I know they've got loads of talent, and we've said that before. It's a, it's a wonderful squad, even without Jota. But I would think that Rafael Leo, for me, should start every single day in that, in that squad, and especially in that team when you, when you rotate and you, you play your B team. Just to put a bow on it as well, Nadam, with what you've seen from Portugal so far, do you think they can make it a deep run in this tournament? I, do you know what? I think they can, but they have shown some level of weakness, I think, throughout most of the games. I think in the first game against Ghana, you know, they took the lead, but by the end, they're just one slip away from maybe try, drawing that game. Then in the second game, you know, I felt like they dominated for long periods, but then Uruguay would be thinking, well, you know, we had a good chance as well to go and score some goals. And then even today, you make the rotation and, you know, you believe that you can win a World Cup based on how good your squad is. But maybe some of the depth that they thought they had isn't as deep as they think. And they've shown little bits of weakness and so on. But ultimately, it, everything's game to game, isn't it? You've got one of the best strikers to ever play the game in your side and he's clearly wanting to get a record because, you know, we, we mentioned it was the B team for this game, yet still Cristiano Ronaldo was in there. It's a strange one for me, but... They're going to be a very dangerous side. The players overall know what they're doing. They move the ball really well. They've impressed me in certain pockets. And as long as the matchups are good, then they'll be with a chance. But my only thought is to just be wary. Because as you saw from that South Korea second goal today, you know, the numbers were basically 7-1 to one in Portugal's favour. Yet still, they conceded, conceded a big goal. And that was the goal that made the biggest difference. And as you go to those final stages, there'll be more teams who will be able to do that against you. So you need to be wary. And hopefully for Portugal, for their sake, you know, they can clean up a little bit. Otherwise, they'll probably get bounced in the next round or two. LME, we're going to bring in Dale Johnson because I wonder for how long you were all scratching your head yesterday and trying to find different angles of Tanaka's, well, Tanaka's ball in because obviously it looked as though the ball had gone out in that game between Japan and Spain. Here it is. And there were so many different angles of this shot. People saying it had already gone out. People saying the whole sphere hadn't crossed the line. So Dale is here now to clear things up for us and give us the FIFA clarification as well. Welcome back in, Dale. Tell us more, because yesterday so many people were confused. I think we all were, absolutely. Um, I think the problem is behind all this is that we don't get any official clarification of anything when it's FIFA or indeed when it's UEFA. So we get these controversial incidents where, um, not just this incident last night, but there's, say, for instance, the offside in the very first game of the tournament, where we're not really sure why this has been made and nothing's ever said on the screen or through any type of explanation. So we're left to just guess. And so while after the game and certainly today on Twitter, they tweeted out a video which showed that angle along the goal line that the ball didn't fully cross the line, this wasn't that wasn't really shown. There was TV replays during the match, but the commentators uh, weren't really sure what they were being shown. There was no, like, what we really needed was this picture or a similar picture 
with a VAR skin image so everybody knew that this was what the VAR was using to make a decision. Because we didn't have that, we were all left to be guessing. And it's, it's just not good enough in terms of communication with that. Yeah, Dale, I'm going to quickly just ask you a question here. And it may sound like such a, you know, amateurish question, I guess. But why, you know, with all the technology that we're putting in, like the graphics that we're seeing on offside, like, you know, like, you know, from yesterday, for example, when, you know, uh, the arm of the Belgian player entered another vortex dimension, and that's how you saw that he was offside. There's just all these things that are going on to make sure that things are being correct, rectified, exact. Surely, like this thing, in terms of the ball going out of line, like going out of bounds, et cetera, whatever you want to call it, surely there needs to be more implementation here, more technology here. I know, I don't want to make it into this robotic 2057 you know, uh, football, uh, you know, extravaganza. But is there anything else that can be done to make sure that this doesn't happen? Because that was a massive, a massive, a massive decision right there. It was, yeah. Um, I think the problem is, is obviously we have goal line technology and that is a very small space and that still needs multiple cameras and mirrors to be able to make a uh, completely correct decision in terms of the ball crossing the line. Now, when you're changing that to any touchdown on the pitch, you've got to remember that the ball can cross the line anywhere from on the ground to 50 yards in the air. So it's difficult to really create the technology. I can imagine it's something that will happen someday, but right now it's, it's just too difficult to do the, the, all the touch lines as well as just the fixed goal line. Um, but I mean, these type of decisions where it's as marginal as this for the ball going out, is really quite small. I mean, it's quite interesting this World Cup. I don't even notice, but there's been a lot of these type of incidents where mm. the ball may or may have not gone out for a goal kick, or um, but they've actually let the play go on and the shots happened. It's almost the, 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 they've told, been told to keep the flag down for a goal kick, like they would do with a with an offside, and that's been the result today. Is that, uh, yesterday, sorry, is that if that flag had gone up straight away for the ball going out, then uh, the goal would never have happened because the whistle would have gone before the ball went in the back of the net. Jules, do you have any thoughts on it yesterday and that how FIFA could be getting better at letting everybody know to call, to avoid this confusion and all these tweets and memes going around? Yeah, although it's difficult. What amazed me the most is that we've had, maybe not to this kind of millimetres, but we've had those kind of incidents before. And every time Dale has to explain that, there's obviously one angle where you, it looks like the ball, the angle from the side of, you know, but the one that counts is the one from the top where you see if the whole ball, it's not, it's not how much of the ball that is on the floor has gone behind the line or not. It's the, it's the, the image that we see there from, from the sky, basically. And then you see if the whole the ball is behind the line or not. And people still don't know. And I'm, I, it goes, I go mad. Trying to say, but, but, but we've been there before. There, there's been many incidents like that on the line where, where you could clearly see. And the only way of seeing it is not looking like this is the only angle, basically. That's what I'm saying. I'm trying to do my best to explain properly, but I'm struggling here. But this is it. It's from the top down, basically. That's it. That's all you need to look for is up and down. And then you see where exactly the ball is compared to the line. Not all the other angles. Do, because some of them, it looks indeed that the ball has gone out of play. But again, it's not how much of the ball on the floor. I'm, I'm losing people now. Uh, no, that, you're you, not. Know. I love, you know what? Just very quickly, I love that I went on Twitter and people were reenacting it at home. They put a belt on the floor, like yep. a balloon. It was a piece just, of paper. I, I, lo I love that, Kay. I love that. But yes, I I'm, love it too. I'm with Jules. I'm confused as hell. And I love that we have Dale as well. Dale, God only knows what we'd do without you. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll speak to you again soon, no doubt. 
Great to meet you all. See you later. All right. We've got to look ahead to the games that are coming up later. We've got Cameroon against Brazil. Brazil can rotate, can't they? They're already through. What are you expecting here, Nadem? Yeah, I'm expecting that rotation. But, you know, obviously it's going to be a really weak side with Martinelli and Gabriel Jesus and Anthony yeah. and people like that. Playing. How will they survive? You know, woe was me, all the Brazilians <laughs> out there. You know, it's a, it's an incredible spot to be in for them and they do have some confidence. And for some of those players, it's a great chance and opportunity to go out and play, express yourself and almost get in the manager's good books because further down the road, you know, the original starting 11 for Brazil, maybe they'll need to find changes to find a difference within a game. So it's a great opportunity for them. I think it'll be a tough game against Cameroon because Cameroon are a good side for me who will continue to push to the end and, they'll, you know, they'll likely score some goals that I like. So maybe it'll turn into a shootout. But, I'm, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how this Brazil team will play. And I think uh, some people kind of fear the B team a little bit. It's kind of the same way they fear the A team. But can think... they sort of ma Go on, sorry. No, Cara, continue, continue. But I'm going to pick up on that fear. Continue. Yeah, I was going to say, I just, I'm just curious to see, like, how well they can perform because there's more pressure being put on them now because the expectations getting a little bit higher and higher and higher. They didn't have the blip in the same way that Argentina did at the start. And a lot of eyes are on them thinking, well, this is going to be Argentina playing Brazil at some point in this tournament. And it's going to be the shootout. Can, is it going to be a great game, so on and so forth? Can they manage that pressure? Can they continue again today and show a good performance? Because I thought at times in the second game, they weren't perfect. But maybe they can address that now with some of the newer players who are fresher and really want to make a difference. Yeah, I just uh, Jules will like this one because we were talking about fear and obviously Saliba is on the same team as Gabriel Jesus and he says, I hope he has a great tournament. It's great to see him doing well, but I hope they're out as soon as possible. <laughs> and it looks as though, the, you know, these two guys, if they're going to meet, it is going to be in the final. But it's funny yeah. to see that, isn't it, Jules, when you know that you're like, oh, I like you, you're my teammate, but please don't be there when it comes to the yeah. final, if I can choose yeah. it. Yeah, and that's the banter that you have before leaving for the tournament at your club in the dressing room when you say, oh, we can play you then and uh, we're going to beat you. And, and, and during the tournament as well, they would have been texting each other, all that kind of stuff. So it's, I mean, it's good. Like, you know, Saliba, obviously, like everybody else, you, no one wants to face, you know, ideally, would you rather final against, I don't know, um, I don't know, I was going to think someone from that, uh, but like an easier team then, but not Brazil really in the final if you're France and you get to the final, of course. So, so you, you would want them out for sure as soon as possible and then, and then you can see who you get. Mm. So there's a question here from our producers. Who is, <laughs> who is the Mr. T of the A team in Brazil? I, I feel like, who, who is the one in that squad that's like, I pity the fool that faces us? Like, who is that? Casemiro, oh, surely, no? <laughs> I, I think it's Casemiro, no? Yeah. Yeah. It has to be Casemiro. It has yeah. to be has Casemiro. To be. He has I get to go it on in plane. that dressing room. I what? love it. I ain't getting on no plane. Yeah. I ain't getting no no plane. Like that's I don't so know. If it, all the young viewers will be like, the 80. The I Mr. know. Me. I know. Go Our producer is showing his up. age, I think. Our producer is showing his age. Hey, listen, just very quickly on the Brazil thing. There is no manager. There is no manager. I, definitely in South America. I'm not sure about the rest of the world. There is no manager that is more comfortable in rotating his players than Coach Ichek. He does it a lot. He does it in friendlies. He does it in, like, specific tough competitions, Copa America. Obviously, you have the likes of Neymar and Richarlison, dependable people. Casemiro, we just talked about. At the back, he keeps it pretty conservative. But in terms of offensively speaking, because everybody knows it. It's like, it's like Coach Ichek's university, and everybody understands the, uh, the assignment. However, I see a Cameroon draw here. 
but I don't think it's going to be enough, obviously, because they need to win it. But uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a lot of rotation, but Chich is not worried about it. Now, I'll tell you what we've got to touch on before we go, guys, is that Louis van Gaal has been interested, apparently, in the Belgium job. So currently the Netherlands coach, but now that Martinez will be moving on, there has been an interest, Jules, from LVG in this job. What more can you tell us? Yeah, yeah, he was asked today um, about it. I mean, he played in Belgium, of course. I mean, if you didn't know, he played towards the end of his career in the late 70s uh, in Antwerp. He, he still, he, I think he still goes. He's, he's obviously very close from the Netherlands. But, but I think there's still a long way in the sense that, obviously, we know about his health lately and, and we hope everything is okay. But but that, that might be an issue if you're the Belgian side and you, you're building for a project and you want someone for the next, you know, six, eight years. And LVG is, is not getting any younger, for example. Um, but from his point of view, you can see why this is an attractive job as well. And I, I think they will have a lot of people sending their CV to say, hey, I'm keen to do, you know, I'm keen for this job because, yeah, you will lose, I suspect, some of the old guards and that, that got some of that golden generation. But you still have some who are just after 30. You've got some youngsters coming through that are very interesting as well. So I think it's an, it's an appealing job for a lot of people and with Van Gaal especially. So, I mean, and also I, I was just finished. I'm going to finish on the language barrier in a way. Well, not so much because obviously half of that team speak Flemish. The others speak French. There's always English. So there's, there's even for LVG who doesn't speak French, there's always a possibility. And like most wise men, he knows happy wife happy life because he did say Belgium's a wonderful country with really friendly people. Heist is a wonderful beach town. So yes, I've thought about it. You have to convince truce. That's Van Gaal's wife. Joking aside, I am always at liberty to take decisions myself, but there are certain countries I won't move to and neither will truce. Uh, one of my favorite things, I don't know if you guys saw this, was that she came to see him at one of the training sessions and obviously it's his wife and he had a joke, but so everybody in earshot could hear saying, come to my hotel room afterwards, but it was actually his wife. So it was funny and it showed that even in his seventies, he's still got that cheeky banter with his lovely wife as well. Uh, that'll do it guys. We're going to wrap things up. Obviously we've got those games to look back on later. So we will be with you then. And we'll also be looking ahead to a massive day in US history. It is US against the Netherlands. We'll be talking about whether there's been a flu outbreak in that Netherlands camp and we'll have a mammoth round 16 preview for you as well. Thanks, guys. Join us then.